The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 199 for Saturday, April 18th, 2009. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek. That was uh, actually the uh, live oh. in the studio in the sub sub uh, sub sub basement attic studio <laughs> here in here in Vermont. That's actually uh, my brother Matt playing the uh, the intro for you. Hey, how are you? awesome acoustic guitar action! Awesome, excellent. So, uh, John, you know Matt is actually the one that played that intro in Go Figure that uh, that you hear every week. The electrified version that's probably twenty years old now, or or what he have was you. In the band? Of course, he was. Oh wow! Yeah, it's been a while. So, nice. uh, I'm up here in Vermont with the family. Matt and his family are up here joining us. So, uh, John, of course, you're in Connecticut, as far as I know. Yeah, I'm going to assume that since we're talking, you had mentioned that you were undertaking a. Uh, broadband installation project. So I'm going to assume, just based on the fact that we can hear each other, that that was successful, because I don't think we can do that over a modem. Uh, no, not with the quality that we can hear you. That's right. Um, yeah, so so Matt and I will talk a little bit about this. Um, we uh, my, my dad has this condo here at, at Mount Snow, a Greenspring Resort, actually, a lovely uh, place with a mountain view that you can see yeah. a picture I took uh, on TwitPic. Yeah, okay. Anyway, um, so he's had this place for years, and it's always a dial-up connection when we come up here, and uh, and it works. But you know, it's dial-up, and so he got his uh, you know his his uh, stimulus bonus and his paycheck or whatever it was, and he said, "That's it. I'm going to uh, I'm going to add Wi-Fi to the." To the condo, and, and perhaps, you know, it'll increase rentals and, and all that stuff. In fact, if any, any listeners sure. want to come up to Mount Snow, let, let us know. We can probably hook you up with... Because uh, before, we, we, you, you and I would share the phone connection with a base station that either you or I brought. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I think email was doable and maybe basic surfing, but beyond that, yeah. Oh, it was a train wreck. Yeah, so let's face go it. On. But yeah, call Dave if you want a, a nice place. Awesome place. Really, really yeah. a nice place to get away from it all. It is, yeah. And if you ski, even better. Um, so they had the cable modem installed last week. And, and so we had this, we had this interesting dilemma because, and, and Matt, is it, is it Comcast or is it like some oh, local, gee, I, I don't know. I, I never heard of or? it. It's, it's Silvernet, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Silvernet. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I'll, I'll try and get the mic a little bit closer to Matt so we can, we can okay. share here. No, I'm just the, curious. So it's a, sounds like a regional, uh, bunch of, or at least yeah. I haven't heard of them. Yeah, and it seems to be a two megabit down, five twelve k up connection from from what we t- we can tell. But you know, the the thing is, it's a rental, so uh, we want the obviously we want the the renters to be able to use the connection, but only the renters that are here. So we need to set up a passworded Wi Fi connection, right, John? But you know, my dad, and so they want to be able to change the password on a fairly regular basis. But my dad doesn't want to have to change his password on his computer. He just wants to come up and wants it to work. And he didn't want to spend a fortune on two routers or a router with two radios or anything like that. So we started getting creative. And Matt, I'll, I'll let Matt talk about the solution here because, uh, you know, you people sometimes laugh at me when I, when I rant and rave about the DDWRT firmware that I like. But, uh, but you know, it, it actually helped solve this problem this time. Wow. And, uh, and, and so we, we bought a, uh, we bought a uh, WRT150N router, uh, which is a 
2.4 gigahertz wireless N router. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it seems to work fine. Obviously, it's working right now. Yeah, you want to see my screen here, Matt, since sure. your computer's not working? Sure. Right, you can get close. Tell them, tell them what you're looking for here. So, so what, what we did is we, uh, we set up a virtual interface so we can have two SSIDs uh, broadcasting in the condo here. And one of them we can have for family set up uh, with a password and SSID that's unpublished but never changes. And one we can set up for the renters, which is published. Um, and by using the virtual interface, we can have two SSIDs. On a, on a single radio, which is actually pretty cool. Right. Okay, so to translate what he just said, though, though I got it, but just to, to yeah. translate it down a bit, SSID is the name of the base station. Usually in your airport menu, that's where you're going to see that. And then I think what you said, Matt, is one is published or beaconing or open, which means it'll be seen in the list. And then I think what you said is the family one is the one that will not broadcast or beacon, which would be harder for someone to find. Exactly right. And so if they wanted to, so I'm sure it's some... Um, wacky there or it's just something that that somebody wouldn't easily guess oh but that's awesome i didn't know you could uh, create two yeah two, two different radios or two different ids from a single radio unless i had two radios i don't know yep no same radio same channel and two different ssids and i i guess dave these are that's b awesome. b ssids correct it's not just different ssids it's different b ssids which sounds like a single letter put in front of the acronym it might mean nothing but what it translates to is they advertise as two different mac addresses ah. but which helps uh they say there's a lot of mobile devices that'll get confused if you do uh multiple names on the same mac address uh but th this will actually broadcast different mac addresses now it just starts guessing at other mac addresses but it seems to work just fine so Yep, and we're up and running, broadcasting on that hardware. Pretty cool. So that's the DD Wirt firmware. So it's a Linksys router, but the uh, the not the standard firmware. And this is probably something that you know not everybody would want to do. But you know, if you're maybe even if you're in a uh, an apartment or if you have friends that come over to play games or whatever, you know, you might want to have uh, two different SSIDs. Or of course, if you have rental property. So anyway, I figured I figured we'd mention it. The uh, the experiment was. Uh, a long time in the planning in that we had to figure out exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it, but but the implementation was cake. So that's uh, that's good, right? That's good, John, right? Awesome. All right, so we have a, uh, what I'll call a normal show, if, if such a thing exists anymore, John. And uh, why don't we start with Tim? And hopefully the sound works, but, but if it doesn't, you won't be Sounds hearing this hear. anyway, folks. So uh, yeah, here we go. Hey guys, Tim from Chicagoland Colin. I've got a follow-up question to podcast number 193, all your uh, juicy info regarding partitioning in regards to Apple Partition versus GUID and Master Boot Record. I have a all-Mac network, although my network consists of both PowerPC and Intel-based Macs. I have an airport extreme base station, not a time capsule, but just the regular base station, with a 750 gig drive hanging off of it. Uh, my understanding is that the partition type only really affects the boot capabilities of the hard drive. And my question is, if I'm hanging this drive as uh, external network attached storage, does it matter which partition map I use? And if it does not matter, 
Would you recommend one over the other? Thanks, guys. Wonderful show, and uh, we'll keep listening. Thanks. All right, John, you want to take this one? Mm. Uh, I'm going to say that I don't really know if it matters. So uh, it definitely does matter. If you're, if you're considering a disk for starting up your computer, then you absolutely have to be using the right, uh, the right type, um, which is depending. And let me, let me see. I have a little note here. So, uh, you know, uh, PowerPC Max, Apple Protection Scheme, GUID for Intel Max, uh, all that great stuff. And then for PC, it's uh, SMB or MS-DOS. So, so say, uh, say that again, John. You, you, sort, of, you sort of mumbled through that. Yeah, so for, for okay. PowerPC... PowerPC Mac, Apple Partition Scheme. Okay. Intel Mac, GUID Partition Scheme. That's G-U-I-D. G-U-I-D. Got it. And then for a PC would be the um, uh, MBR, right? Master Boot Record. I think are, are your three types in there. Yes? That's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. And, and the Mac can read and write to and from all three of those without any issue. And in fact, on all three of those, even on Master Boot Record, I think you can put an HFS partition on there, correct? I'm not sure. I, be- I believe you can. I don't do that. Right. But you could. Yeah. Um, I don't think it matters, but I, I, I guess my suggestion would be that you use the type that is most appropriate to the OS that you're usually going to be using to access that thing. So that's that's kind of my spin. I I, I mean, I always kind of, I guess I don't know, I guess I, I just naturally go with the, the, the Mac uh, partitioning scheme because that's pretty much what works on all the equipment, including the time capsule or the airport extreme. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, I, my advice would be, yeah, it doesn't matter if all you're going to do is hang it off and use it for storage and never consider booting from it, except that if you use master boot record, as we've discussed, I believe the maximum partition size is 500 megabytes. So if you want to, uh, obviously use more than that, if the drive has more than that, then, uh, doing Apple partition map or GUID would be the option. Uh, but, but really what I would do is I would pick the machine that if you were to change the purpose of the drive, so repurposing it from being a network drive to being perhaps a drive you might want to back up your hard drive to and perhaps boot from if you ever had uh, an issue you know, with your, with your main drive, well, then you probably want to make sure that it's going to boot your main Mac. And, and that, that's really what I'd use. So if you're using an Intel Mac as your main Mac, and uh, probably, I would say most, certain, though certainly not all people are, uh, I would choose GUID, and then that way you're good to go, uh, you know, for the future and, and uh, for the future and beyond. Yeah, you know, there's something in the back of my head where I remember, and I think they've resolved it in the current firmware, but it, it was something having to do with if you used one of the partition schemes, there was some limitation when it got over a certain size, I think, and I'll I'll dig through my notes, but but I think you may recall this too. It was early on, and I think it had to do all right. If you're using this partition scheme, everything may appear to be okay until you try to store more than a certain amount of gigabytes of data. Then things kind of fall apart. So let me find that because okay, I, though I think that may have been specific to the time capsule. So, ah, anyways, does okay. Sound familiar to you at all, or um, okay. sort of? Not. No, I'll say. I'll say no. Okay. But, but that doesn't mean. But that doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, 
you know, before we move on to Tom, there was actually one thing I wanted to talk about in the intro. Of course, we discussed this show is show 199, and, and though we had the, uh, the, the custom live intro here uh, with the theme music, uh, next show has something special about it too, which is it's show 200. And as we discussed, we're, uh, we're, the plan is to do it live. We're still working out the technology. So what you're going to need to do is read MacObserver.com on Monday the 27th, and we will have instructions there um, about you know what we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can uh, interact with us. And, and we will, assuming we can do it live, we will take questions live. Um, bring any question you want. Uh, you know, we're looking to have... We can, we're happy to be informative with this show, but we're also happy to have some fun. So if you want to ask some questions uh, of John and I that, that aren't necessarily Mac-related, but, uh, but perhaps show-related, that's, uh, that's totally fine. Uh, so, you know, play Stump the Geek, kind of like, uh, like we've done at Macworld, John, where if the yeah. answer's not right there, it's not right there, and that's okay. Yeah, those, those were good. I like those. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. All right, um, we talked about Apple Care last time. And Tom wrote in, and we have some some clarification and some some additional details. So when you mail in computers into AppleCare, there are no mail-ins on desktop machines. So no uh, no iMac, no Mac Pro. Uh, the iBook, MacBook, MacBook Air, and PowerBook G4 12-inch go to Memphis, Tennessee. Now all the other laptops go to Houston, Texas. The $75 backup data option that we discussed was discontinued about a year ago. There is no longer any backup or copy option on AppleCare mail-in repair. Now, I don't, I'm editorializing here, I don't know if that's uh, an option at the store. I believe it still is an option if you bring your machine into the store. Many times when you bring your machine into the store, it will... They will send it out to either Memphis or Houston if it's not something they can fix right there in the store. Um, another thing that Tom mentions is that he says normal out-of-warranty repairs have a one-price-fixes-all f- flat rate. Accidental damage repairs have four-tier levels based on parts needed. Also, cinema displays use a mail-in repair strategy and go to Louisville, Kentucky, or Louisville, if we're saying that right. Is that right, Matt? Louisville. 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 All right, there you go. Um so this flat rate repair, John, this is good to talk about, right? Because uh, it, it's not something that is overly advertised, though they certainly don't try to hide it. Uh, if you are out of Apple Care and you are out of warranty and you need to send your machine in to get something fixed, they have what, what Tom refers to as their flat rate repair. And you can uh, pay, and I think for a laptop, it's it's not cheap. It's like maybe 350 bucks. So it's about the price that you would have paid for Apple Care, maybe even a little bit more, depending on where you get Apple Care. Um, and that then qualifies you to have anything that is not related to damage, you know, physical, accidental damage to the machine fixed. I've sent a machine in for flat rate repair and gotten, you know, the screen, the keyboard, the motherboard, and the, and the DVD drive repaired or replaced. I, I think I've heard of cases where unless like you take so that's okay. That kind of covers what I was going to say. But unless you take a sledgehammer to it and it's like you, you send it to them in, in pieces, <laughs> there is one other thing that they will test for. I believe, right. like all cell phones, have uh, the newer model MacBook Pros and, and perhaps even the MacBooks. You know where I'm, you know what I'm getting at here, John? Uh, immersion detection. Immersion detection. <laughs> I like that. Yes, it's a little 
paper dot that turns bright, goes from bright white to bright red as soon as it gets wet and never goes back. So they can believe they know if, uh, if in fact, your damage is due to water. And, of course, I say this after I just put a glass of water down next to my laptop, which I'm going to move. You can talk to them while I move my water, John. <laughs> um, hi, Dave's drinking water, and Dave's going to be right back. back I, I am. <laughs> that's good. That's good, right? It, maybe, maybe like that's the point where we do this, right? <laughs> okay. Oh shoot! Now I can't get it to stop. <laughs> Seriously, I can't get it to stop. Oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't push the button. There's one other that one of our listeners dared us to play that... Uh, oh, I don't have it queued up. Keep going. Yeah, so sorry about that. I could find it. No, I don't, I don't even have my iTunes uh, drive right, plugged right, in. Right. I, I, I could not. Um, <laughs> all right. This is as good a time as any. Uh, our first sponsor for the show is Circus Ponies with Notebook 3.0. Uh, we've talked about Notebook many times. Uh, you've all heard about it if you're regular listeners to the show. If you're a new listener to the show, Notebook is a an electronic notebook app where you can create multiple documents, i.e. notebooks, for different topics, different subjects. You can create anything you want uh, in these notebooks. Then you can pull in PDFs into the notebook or type in an outline view. Um, you can draw diagrams inside the notebook. And, and we actually got some, some feedback from Carol. And she said, uh, I look for, uh, let's see, uh, my first question, uh, one of the features in notebook, which I might add you have not mentioned, is the ability to record meetings and take notes as you are recording. Once that is done, you can then go back to the exact spot on the audio where you have made the note. Uh, so th- this is actually very cool. So you can record the notes, go back in, and then listen to perhaps you, perhaps you were taking notes in the lecture and as you were typing, of course, recording, uh, you know, the, the actual lecture that, that you were hearing. And, and then you can go back and augment your notes or perhaps clarify things and, and all that. So uh, notebook is, is the kind of thing that basically works the way you want it to. You, uh, you, you dump all your data uh, in there for a given subject and you can have multiple notebooks open. You can search from uh, either just in one notebook or you can search across all the open notebooks. Um, so it, it, lots of options, all available at circusponies.com. Of course, you get a 30-day fully functioning free trial and then it's $49.95. Uh, if you own an older version of notebook, it's $24.95. So that's circusponies.com. With notebook version 3.0. Oh, is it time to talk about go, to go from notebook to iBook, John? Right. Right. Okay. Now, now that I screwed this all up with with Linus and Lucy there, mm-hmm. did you know that, John? That that's the name of that song. That is the name of it. Oh. Yeah, that's the name of that song, Linus and Lucy. I, d- I didn't know that. You did not. No. That's yeah. uh, by. Uh, okay. So, uh, does anybody know who who wrote and played it? Anyone? Quickly. Um. That would be Linus, right? Well, in the show, Linus played it, <laughs> but uh, it was a, po- a popular jazz piano piece uh, written by Vince Guaraldi and Wikipedia to the rescue here. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Okay. Uh, that right? Uh, I believe it's just Vince Guaraldi. Guaraldi. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Joe writes. <laughs> I have a question. 
My son has a 14-inch iBook 900 megahertz, model A1007, that started out with what seemed to be a bad battery, uh, i.e. it started out holding only about a 30-minute charge and eventually would not charge at all. After some PMC resets and playing around, I managed to get a full charge on the battery. However, now the iBook seems to be mostly dead. Upon pressing the power button, I get the dong and immediately a white screen. I can even get the option Apple PR reset to function and an external firewire to power up, but never anything else. No apparent hard drive spin-up, no firewire boot drive access, and no bootable CD come up. There's no indication on the screen that anything is going on, just pure white screen. In the desktop world, I know there's a little keep-alive battery for basic settings can that, cause, that can cause weird behavior uh, of a Mac starting up. What I don't know, however, if, is if laptops have this battery or if, in particular, this iBook does. Any ideas would be appreciated, Such as and being such an old Mac, carrying it to Apple for a repair would be like totaling a car. Just not worth it. Okay, so uh, let's go and answer his second part of his question first, John, because I know you did some research on this about this this backup battery. Let's talk about what it is and then whether or not he's got one. Um, well, it's a battery that, that will allow the computer to store certain settings like time, date, and some other fun stuff, maybe configuration information. Um, the thing is, not all computers have it. If you look right here, I'm looking at article... TA25911. Portable computers, models which do not have a backup battery, and that includes iBook, all models, iBook G4, all models, and my last portable, the PowerBook G4 12-inch, all models. None of these machines have a backup battery, so if you lose the juice, it's wiped out. Right. Or there's not a chance for an area of memory that was being backed up by the battery uh, to get corrupted. On the other hand, and I think he hinted at this, is that there still is a power manager reset um, right. procedure. And it differs by machine, and we also have a link to that whole article about that. In a lot of cases, it's a button somewhere. In some cases, it's a, uh, uh, you know, a, a key press or something. So, all right. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, okay. So, so he does not have this backup battery in the machine. Um, but that, that would cause problems like this. In fact, in one of my old iMacs, it would not start up. And what I had to do was replace this battery, and then everything was fine. So, you know, that, that, the power that, that lets the computer see the little startup button, that's all run by, uh, by, by this backup battery. So, uh, but yeah, so my, my thoughts on this are, you know, I wonder what would happen for Joe is if he plugged it into power and removed the battery entirely, right? Yeah. Uh, because I, I think, you know, it sounds to me like this computer has a bad battery, a normal battery, the one that, you know, that powers the laptop. Well, and first off, yeah, it sounded like its lifetime was, was pathetic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, and it, now it sounds like the lifetime has gone so far low that, that it, it's not even passing through enough current regularly right, to get the right. machine to boot up right it, you know that so so yeah i think i think you uh you yank the battery and see if the thing will start now i i think most apple laptops will start correctly without a battery in uh, and in fact yeah uh, so so my wife has a g4 laptop and has a battery that has expired it, it won't hold a charge um we've started it up for sure, without a battery in it. Okay. Um, just to test to see if it was the battery or not. Um, as soon as you unplug it, it uh, 
it will die if uh, if it even has the battery in. And I'm wondering if that happens, could you have damaged the operating system to the point where now it's having trouble starting up, um, even if the battery's in? Well, yeah. Even if even if he corrupted his OS, it would still try to boot up from a boot CD or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So unless he fried the motherboard, which uh, it doesn't. Anything's possible, but it doesn't sound like it. Only because it it's starting to a point. But who knows? Yeah, it could be a damaged motherboard. Yeah. Right. But I found here. I yanked um, the battery. And I found this. Um, so the power manager reset for this machine, or at least most of the iBooks, is uh, there's no button. Make sure the computer's off. Reset the power manager by simultaneously. Now, okay, you got to be kind of coordinated. Shift control option power. Uh, hold that down and then uh, wait and hit the power button. So that that's like a last stitch if something did get corrupted. I mean, with the battery out, I would think there's a, there may still be some latent, you know, some capacitor or something that um, holds on to some data or maybe some NVRAM or something like that. I don't know. All right. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're good. Um, we're we're so we're uh, if you can picture this in your mind's eye, we're we're in a one of the bedrooms here because the kids are asleep, of course, in in the two other bedrooms, and our wives are. Uh, downstairs watching TV or probably conspiring against us somehow. Um, that's what I suspect. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And and so Matt and I are, are up here in one of the bedrooms, but there's no desks in the bedrooms here because there's a big living room. It's a big condo, so that you know it's not like a hotel where you would actually put a desk in a bedroom. And uh, and so we brought up this little table to hold the microphone at mouth level, but of course it means that we're sitting on the floor. So we're we're sort of in a. I, huh. l- let me say it this way. I don't expect this show to go an hour, like uh, like some of them have. Good. Well, you let me know when you want to throw in the towel. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm in the uncomfy chair, so you know. Sorry, I'm, kinda, I'm not going to sit on the floor, though. I refuse to. That's right. Bring we, myself we, down to your level. Without show, jeez. We also realized that we're 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 completely out of beer um, before we started the show. Not well, that that has any involved. bearing on on how we record the show whatsoever. Certainly ever. Not. Certainly not. That's right. Uh. But it might mean that my throat gets dry. We should read about Bob, though. Bob. What, about, what about Bob? What about Bob? So Bob writes, I have been listening to your podcast for nearly a year now and have enjoyed the subjects and news covered. However, I've noticed that when it comes to comparing OSs, it's been Mac OS versus Microsoft OS, i.e. Vista, XP, etc. Why have you not compared Mac OS with Linux OS? Great show, and uh, oh yeah, whatever. Okay, lots of kudos. Thanks, Bob. Yep, good. Uh, all right, John, you want to uh, you want me to take this one first? Do you want me to run with this, or you you got are you ready to go? Uh, flip a coin. I don't know, man. All right, you you know what you took? Uh, I think you took the last one, right? Yeah, you go. All right. Uh, well, I don't know what I'm going to say though. No, uh, you know I don't bring up Linux. There's two reasons. One. And this is sort of a cop out that it's not typically mainstream enough, and that's that's BS because you know it's probably way more mainstream than the firmware that I run on my router, and I certainly talk about that a lot. So uh, we'll throw out option number one. Uh, excuse number two is, and this is actually true, I have very little non command line experience with Linuxes. Now we we run TMO, uh, it runs on a series of Linux boxes, right? I mean it, it that that's what it does. And I've been using Linux for probably the last 15 years on, if not daily, you know, certainly multiple time per week basis, but it's all been command line stuff. So 
I don't really compare the two in terms of an OS that I would use on my desktop, though I, that's only because I don't do it. It's certainly a valid OS to use on your desktop. Um, there's lots of reasons to do so. And there's lots of good options uh, available. I'm just not familiar with them. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the names, but but beyond that, I, I couldn't tell you, you know, what the difference is between KDE and, and GNOME and and, uh, and all of that stuff, or even if the two are somehow related. So that that's my excuse, uh, John. So I, I've dabbled a bit, but I, I guess, uh, you know, my feeling is that there's so many different versions that it's it's hard to... Which one do we talk about? Like the two that I've used as of late um, that work, I was doing some work with imaging APIs and wanted to see how it worked under some form of Linux, and I got Ubuntu. Ubuntu? Uh, oh, sure. I, you know, I, I've read it a million nice. times, yeah. And then um, some other folks who are doing product development are using SUSE yeah. Linux, so I got that just to replicate the environment. But they're also using these things, which I don't know if you've seen them, but I actually built a system with one of these, but... Intel has this um, uh, desktop board, they call it. It's a D945GCLF. Um, it's basically a, a, a self-contained computer on a circuit board. It, 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 it's like under 100 bucks. It's an Intel you know, 2 gigahertz, I think, processor. It has USB. It has VGA. It has onboard graphics. You can put it. It has one RAM slot. It has USB. It has Ethernet. I mean, it's literally it, it, I mean, buying a case and a power supply for this is probably more expensive than the machine than the motherboard itself. This is not aimed at power users, though. This is aimed at, and uh, a lot of their literature actually shows, um, you know, pictures of people in countries that don't have a lot of computers, basically saying, and I think their tagline one is like, you know, this is going to be the next billion computers. Um, so that's what I've run this on. Now, the danger, though, that I ran into, which is always the bad news with, you know, the fragmentation of all the different Linux versions, like one of them, for example, it installed using this Atom motherboard, but I had, I think, a Realtek uh, Ethernet chipset, and the machine was like, huh? Right. Now, a lot of OSs, installing without a network connection is bad because it can't check for things like updates or do anything really useful. In my view, now what what worked out though is that now always keep your whole old hardware, kids, because I had an old old. I actually pulled it out of a Mac, but I had an old uh, PCI Ethernet board with the old deck chipset on it. I put it in that machine in the PCI slot, and the OS was like, "Oh, okay, I know what that is. All right, let's go." That's great. Yeah, yeah. That I've I've run into that. You know, I for I don't currently run a Linux machine in the house, but. It's probably been less than a year uh, since I have not. Um, up, up until then, probably for the last 10 years, I have run a Linux machine to do most of the management of my network. Now I'm doing it on an OS X server machine. But um, but yeah, you know, building those, it was always what hardware do I have access to that I know I have the drivers for or the drivers are built in for. And it, it's always this very, you know, tenuous thing and when you do updates especially you know big you know wide reaching kernel updates or whatever there's always this concern of okay well is it going to you know stop recognizing my my network card is the worst because i i always remote into the thing so if the network card goes the, the it's you know it might as well be a brick right it doesn't matter yeah. but yeah no it's true but yeah yeah so i don't 
Well, we certainly can cover Linuxes uh, as as they come up, but but don't expect us to uh, to to change our our tact here. But uh, but it was a good question, and Bob, you're not the only one that has brought up that subject, though you probably asked it the most uh, the most clearly. So it was it was a good opportunity for us to answer the question. So Bob and Joe and Tim and Tom and everybody has contacted us. John, let's tell the rest of the folks how to contact us for, well, at least all but show number 200, right? What are you talking about? Well, show number 200, we're going to have this live thing. And, and oh, so you keep saying that. Yeah. I do keep right. saying that. Whatever. If we can make the tech work, yeah. And I, you know, if we can't, come on. All right, but if I wanted to call us, I would call us at 206-666-GEEK. That's right, which is 4335. And you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. And that is the best way to email us. Trust me on that. was feedback at macgeekgab.com. Did I say feedback at macgeekgab.com? Yep. And you can, you know, just just if you're you're feeling lucky, you could try to Skype us. I think I fixed that again. What what happens is the Skype thing, it, it for some reason it gets into a funk where it will only accept calls from people in our address book. And I go and I change that option, say no, take calls from anyone. And and then it works for a little while and then somehow it gets, you know, set back to only accept calls from people in your address book. Because we don't have anybody in our address book because it's never mm-hmm. on. So that's that's sort of the issue. Right. Yep. Uh, and then we love the iTunes comments. We really do. Do we? I do. Okay, good. All right. Uh, I, I, I'm going to vote that we skip to, down on the agenda to Brad, John. Yep. You okay yep. with that? Oh, really? Yeah, uh, why not? Uh, all right. All right. We'll, we'll do – you know what? We've been talking about, about uh, Linux, so we can do this Tom thing, right? Is that, no, is that what you're – I do that. Tr- not tr- Tom. Troy, right? Troy. That's yes. what I meant. Yeah, sorry. Hey, John and Dave. This is Troy from Dearborn, Michigan. I'm a loyal listener and a sometime caller, and I'm calling for some advice today. We have uh, an older G4 that runs at 533 megahertz, and I'm trying to convince the kids and the wife to use instead of the iMac. But it's running really slow, and it doesn't do everything that we want it to do. For example, uh, reading PDFs in line, it won't do in Safari. We have to download it first. So I'm faced with three choices that I can see. One, I can wipe it clean and reinstall Panther. I have Panther. Two, I could do some hacking and install Leopard, because I have a a copy of Leopard, but since it runs at 533 megahertz, it's not officially supported. Or three, I could go radical and install Ubuntu on it, which just kind of sounds like fun. Um, But I'm looking for your advice, because you know, I wouldn't want to get caught. Uh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my ad- advice out real quick. I, I would, uh, I think Ubuntu uh, would probably be a whole lot of fun, but if you're trying to convince your family to use this, you know, they, they might not see it that way, uh, especially yeah, if they... Fun is very subjective. Yes, that's right. Fun to install. Uh, I'm sure easy to use. I've heard good things about Ubuntu, as we just said, but... Maybe fun to explore, but... Yeah. That's if, not everybody's bag. If they want the Mac experience, you know, they, they, I'm sure they're going to come up short in some way. So I, I would actually go the Leopard route, unless you can get your hands on a Tiger Disc, which would probably be the best of all worlds in your situation, but not if you have to go out and buy Tiger. Yeah. Now there's a little problem, though. I think. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Talk about the problem. Well, the problem is Leopard 
in its infinite wisdom or not infinite, whatever. Uh, it, I think in order to guarantee a pleasant user experience, and we'll look at the machine, and if if it, to be, to be honest, if it deter, determines that your machine is too wimpy, it'll say, I'm sorry, I, I can't do this. <laughs> and I've had this happen, so... Um, uh, what you have to do is you have to fake it out. Now, there are a number of ways to do this. One is kind of geeky. We will link to a uh, low-end Mac article. Uh, but basically, you can go into open firmware, which is something on the older Macs. Uh, it was kind of like BIOS, or you just low-level stuff. And basically, you can go in there. When you boot the machine, you get a prompt for open firmware, and you can basically trick the computer into uh, thinking that it's it's a different machine from what it is. Um. So that's one way to do it. And I, well, I think that extends. Actually, I think you have to actually hack an installed disk along with that. So, um, but but then there's another link I have where somebody actually wrote a program called Leopard Assist, and it basically takes care of all this stuff for you, so you don't have to screw around with the uh, command line or anything. Um, the, the only warning is that you know, I mean, the, I, I think Apple makes the judgment about what machine is appropriate uh, in good faith. So if they say your machine's not going to handle some stuff. It's probably not going to handle some stuff. Like I would not expect to be doing, you know, full screen, full motion video on one of these older machines. Okay. Right. So we we have a uh, we actually, and I didn't even realize this when I prepped the show, uh, knowing that Matt was going to be here. But but we actually have some real world experience with almost yeah, almost exactly this machine. I think I think he's got a your your, your wife's machine's an eight hundred megahertz yeah, G four, yeah. so slightly faster than this, but but well, still. I think is the uns- threshold of no, machines. It, it was right. Really? It was right below it. So so granted, oh, it was it's eight eighty or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's not exactly this scenario, but if you can get your whole your hands on a supported machine, you put your uh, target machine in FireWire mode, and just install it from the supported machine. And voila, unplug the firewire, okay. and the unsupported machine comes up thinking it's uh, Leopard. And, it, yeah, and, it's and that's worked. it. No, <laughs> there was no complications. In fact, I, I have a firewire drive with uh, Leopard on it that I that I keep around, and I just booted up Daisy Chain, the old machine, into that firewire drive with uh, the install disk on it uh, into the supported machine. Run everything from the supported machine, reading the Leopard install off the firewire drive, installing it onto the target machine that's unsupported. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty easy, and it sounds like Tom's got. Uh, sorry, I said Tom because we talked about Tom before. It's, it sounds like Troy's got uh, other supported, you know, leper supported Macs. So I, th- I think, frankly, I think that would be the, the simplest route. Now, the question is, uh, and if you had something else to add, that's fine too. But but the, my question will be, how does it work on her machine? I, I haven't seen any problems. Um, there was something about. Nope, like QuickTime. To me, the biggest stress test is full screen, 30 frame a second, QuickTime. Like movie trailers, but isn't isn't that going to work the same whether it's Panther, Tiger, or Leopard? I mean, I, I think the issue is is OS services, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't had any trouble with QuickTime. There was one thing about the transparency of the dock that didn't show up, and and that was a difference that I saw. But so other other than that, it behaved like a slower machine, which it was, um, and I didn't notice any issues, you know, with the. Uh, with the operating system, and and in fact, my wife didn't either. Who didn't didn't actually realize what I had done. She noticed some of the interface changes, but never had any 
and he major issues with it. So okay, it's so for normal use. But I go to imagine like you weren't gaming with it or anything. I was right? not gaming, but I wouldn't have gamed with it anyway, probably yeah. because um, you know I would have noticed other issues just with gaming in general. Uh, RAM uh, is an issue now with Leopard. It, it, does Leopard itself take up more RAM than Tiger, which I know she had on it previously? Um, yeah, it does take up more RAM. Um, that machine actually had the supported amount of RAM, but not the supported, uh, supported CPU. Okay. But even still, she's probably RAM starved on it, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so that, there you go. That's the, at least some real world, uh, info. Really? Really. That's what we say. <laughs> and we're keeping it real. We're keep, keeping it real. Should we, should we move on to Brad? Before before Matt and I are crippled here from sitting on the floor. Yeah. Okay. Right, one more. Oh, uh, we can do we can do Brad, and then you know we oh. should follow up with the the cool stuff Ooh. found right because it, because we should wrap up yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. doc thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, all right. Let, let me find Brad. I know I have Brad. Okay. Uh, Brad says hopefully a quick question, which you probably have touched on in your previous podcast. I'm sure we have. Um. I have four Macs, which all independently connect to the internet internet via a Wi-Fi router. One of the four computers is a new MacBook Pro, which sometimes hooked up to my local network via Ethernet only router for a speedy connection in transferring and syncing files between machines. Other times it's on the Wi-Fi router in other parts of the building. The question is, how do I ensure that when it is hooked up to Ethernet that it's using that mode to transfer files versus the slower Wi-Fi? Each computer is on DHCP and could use manual addressing for both Ethernet and airport. Would this speedier Ethernet connection be ensured by entering the specific IP address for the local Ethernet computer? If so, what is the best way to save these addresses? Um, and he goes on to ask uh, many to, to offer many different options, uh, none of which would work. So we'll we'll skip to actually providing a uh, helpful answer here. So the idea is we have a machine that sometimes connects to a network via Wi-Fi and other times connects via Ethernet. But when it's connected via Ethernet, we want to make sure that it's talking over Ethernet. And, uh, and John, if, if you don't have the answer, I do, but I think you've got it right there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think it has something to do here. Yeah, we, uh, I guess, both knew about this. But if, if you go into network... System preferences, right? System preferences, network... Um, you will then see on the left side of the screen different interfaces, different network interfaces, and there is, I guess, you, you called it. Now, I didn't know this. If it's, it's the official name, the widget button. Yeah, I don't know what to call that, Matt. Do you do you have a name it's for a, this it's thing? It's a gear with a down arrow that implies. All right, click on this, and you'll see some choices. And the choice we like to talk about, unless Matt knows what the heck that's called. No, I I, I think we've got a, we're drawing blanks here. I called it yeah. a widget. I don't know what else to call it. It's a gear. Yeah. Right, but then um. And then your choices, when you, when you click on that, one of the choices is, uh, and it has a dot, 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 which, as we discussed in the past, means that there's going to be another dialogue asking you more stuff versus choices that have no dots mean something's going to happen right now. So set service order, and then it shows you all the interfaces that are defined. You can choose a location, and then you can select the order of in which you would like the services to be uh, accessed. So it's kind of obscure, right? Yeah, I think so. And, and Very obscure, but this will accomplish, all right, so if you're on this interf, or if you're in this configuration, try this one first. If you're on this other one, try that first. But it, you just, It's easy to do. You just drag them around, and the one at the top is the one that will get priority. So in, in Brad's case, what you do is you make sure Ethernet is the topmost one and then that you know airport is below it, and, and that way you're sure that you know, it's going to 
it's going to do them in that order. Unless of course you want it differently. But, but I think for good reason, Brad wants uh, ethernet to be prioritized. And I do the same thing. I may have mentioned at, uh, at home, I have, I use a manual IP address and I have the same IP address assigned to both ethernet and airport. And this is so I can switch between them while transfers and other things are open and active and it doesn't blow up those connections. It actually works pretty well. Uh, but I have ethernet as at the top so that when I'm plugged into ethernet, I'm, uh, I'm good to go. So Matt, okay, Matt, Matt found the answer. Yeah. It's uh, the, it's, it appears to be called the actions menu, the gear, the gear icon. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's actually listed in uh, Apple's MobileMe news page. So that's Action. from Actions menu. Yeah. I remember Action Jackson. I, I remember Action Jackson. <laughs> we can't talk about Action Jackson here. Wow. No, no. This will get to be like the last time we, we did a, an interview together, Matt. I, I, I think, I, I think we've, we've, we've come beyond that now. I'm glad. I, 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 we'd have to work really hard. So the last time Matt and I did uh, any sort of uh, public we were in front of a microphone together, uh, uh, sitting down talking. Talking. That was. That yeah. was yeah. Were, yeah. Were people called. Um, well, we, I think we we were we were interviewed by some some person, some poor interviewer that was interviewing us for Go Figure, which was the band that we were in back. You, you know, that played the answer, which is the the intro song there, and uh, that poor interviewer. I mean, we answered questions he didn't ask. Um, we we certainly didn't answer any of his questions. <laughs> Not, he had trouble keeping uh, a format to the show and, and keeping it together personally. I think he had trouble. I think so. It was good, though. It was, it was good preparation for what uh, we do now in the rest of our lives. Uh, okay, moving on to – so hopefully that helps, Brad, and I, I think that should solve your problem uh, splendidly. So now I'm finding the show here. Tracy writes in. We talked about the doc quite a bit, and last week we talked about doc spaces. It was one of the things. And so Tracy writes, and she said, you guys were talking about separate docs per spaces. So I thought I would let you know about an app called Doc Spaces, which is available uh, at the Apple site and at their own site, which uh, we'll put a link into the, the show notes. So the idea is, uh, John, you had asked last week if you had a different doc as you moved from space to space using Leopard right. Spaces. And the answer is, by default, no. But uh, using this Doc Spaces app, you can, and it does exactly what you were looking for. So uh, thank you, Tracy. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Mark has, uh, has some things to add, so we're just going to go ahead and let Mark uh, tell us. Hello, guys. Uh, this is Mark from Arcadia, California, long-time listener, and um, I love the show. And um, I'm listening to uh, your podcast that you put out on the 6th of April. And you're talking about the dock and putting uh, spacers in there to uh, divide up your uh, icons. And uh, there's two programs. One's called Deeper, and the other one is called uh, Docker. And I'm pretty sure you can get them at uh, MacUpdate or uh, VersionTracker.com. And I'm pretty sure they're um, they're freeware. And um, they're great programs. If they're not freeware, they're shareware, and they're very reasonably priced. And... Um, I, uh, I love it. I mean, uh, they both allow you to tweak. Uh, well, Docker allows you to tweak your doc, hence the name, and put in spaces um, and also um, tweak the outline of your doc, adding some color to it and uh, a few special effects. And then Deeper basically um, allows you to dive into not only your doc, 
but Safari, Spotlight, and a few other uh, little uh, items where you can kind of tweak them around. And uh, both programs are, are wonderful. I, I enjoy using them. They make it very easy. And um, just wanted to uh, pass that along. Love the show, guys. And uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, Mark. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Wow. And you know what else is fantastic, John? We're, uh, we're here at uh, what I like to call the 48-minute mark. And I'm going to try and bring the band in here. Oh, look you brought the band with you? You're nice. Uh, you know, there's two of us sitting right here. <laughs> uh, and I don't think the rest of the band is, uh, is findable these days. No, we, we might be able to find it. We might be, Matt can find him. Matt, Matt's good at hunting for him. Uh, okay, so next show will be show number 200. Look on MacObserver.com on Monday the 27th for information on how to uh, contact us or dial in. I'm honestly not sure how we're going to do it. You know, one option would just be to do a Skype uh, deal, but but that gets crazy because it's we'd have to add it everybody, and, and I think we're limited. But, well, but it, on, there's probably only four or five listeners that's true yeah for the for the dozen of you that uh no <laughs> uh but yeah i don't know what our limitations are going to be you know my, my guess is we'll probably have i don't know who knows i don't know how many people have um all right uh so iphonealley.com is michael johnson's home when he is not converting this show he did not convert 198 he's been sick lately no. uh but he says that uh, he's back in uh, back in action jackson so iphonealley.com nice. yeah Cashfly.com is the company that provides all the bandwidth to get this show from us to you. Uh, the podcast marketplace, of course, includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen and Text Expander from Smile on My Mac, and Notebook from Circus Ponies all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Um, yeah. Don't forget those iTunes comments. Oh, and there's also, you know, reach out to us. Uh, Twitter. I'm oh, yeah. Front, Dave is Dave Hamilton. Matt, I don't know... Uh, I don't know if you, do you want the listeners following? He doesn't. He, he's not. Uh, he's no, he he'll, he'll stay away from that. That's right. Uh, yeah. And a pilot beat. This Twitter thing. Yeah. So you are John F. Braun, correct, John? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, you can follow Oprah now. Okay. I think. I think with that, it's time to fade her out. No, to me, that's like has has it jumped the shark. You know, the nice part about Twitter is I can choose who not to follow. So all those illiterate people out there can stay that way. And I'm not saying Oprah's illiterate, actually. <laughs> I just, you know. She oh, yeah. I'm, actually, she's very smart. Show number 200 coming up, folks. Don't get caught. Don't get caught. Made up.